All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hi, Jeannie, good morning. Thank you. 1021, we should be out of here by 1230. I mean, you guys want to be social for another 10 minutes. I mean, I just, no, I wouldn't do that to you. I have a lot to say this morning, though, because today, I, I know that you're going to want to hear this. We, we were blessed. We had an incredible men's retreat. It was great to get together with the guys. Yeah, we made it all back in one piece uh, from a different, we keep going to different places up the hill, so it's different every time, but uh, it, was, it was really fabulous. Then we come back and we have this incredible trunk or treat event where it was, it was busy enough to where I feel like the neighborhood really appreciated it, but it was personal enough where I wasn't running around being like the candy dispatcher, right? And so because of that, and being in costume and having a lot of hair and facial hair, which put me kind of incognito, I was able to really hang out with some of the people from the community and have some conversations. And that really hasn't happened in three and a half years in that parking lot. And it's weird for me to think that, you know, Hallow's Eve was once a Christian holiday. It was once something about people who had died. It was hallowed. And now it's become something like stolen, like other things in the Bible, right? And it just got me thinking, like, even at a trunk or treat event, this last few weeks, because of the stuff happening in the news and because of some of the things happening in the world, it's hard to set down our fears about what's happening. Even when we're trying to be in a relaxed environment or in a you know, kind of a festive environment, our brain is still kind of processing the magnitude of all the things going on. And so I just thought, you know what, I, I need to be considerate of what you guys are going through. In the, in the last two weeks, I've literally answered questions from people that are relatively new believers, 10 years and under. And the questions that they asked me were really similar to questions that people in this congregation that have been believers for 30 and 40 years were asking me. And so as I sat with that this week, I thought, you know, we are in a book study. We've been in the book study of Acts for a while, and we'll be in it till I think January 28th. And then we'll probably just go straight into Romans because I'm too simple to come up with complex things. But um, all that considers, like, maybe I should do a standalone for you guys. I've never done one in the one year that I've been the senior pastor at this church. And so I really started to pray about it. And as soon as I started to pray about it, 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 it got on paper. Like, I had the first point, and then the second point, and then the third point. So what I'm going to try to do in one hour or two or three, depending on how the Lord wills it this morning... I'm going to try to share with you how to biblically observe what's happening and then change your perspective, change a paradigm, a full paradigm shift is plausible if you let me share with you this morning with an open heart and an open mind so that by the time we get to communion at the end of the uh, service and we have some elders available, if you've been processing something, if you came in this morning with a little bit of fear and trepidation, something's going on in your life and the situation with Israel just seems to be overwhelming, whatever it is. I just want you to know that you're in good company. And a lot of people are struggling with that. And so one of the things I don't want to do this morning is tell you that I have figured it out. I can tell you right now, I have not figured out anything. Okay? I've learned enough with my kidney situation to tell you all I did was, like I said, drink Diet Coke for 10 years faithfully. And then one day I woke up and they said, you have you know, stage 2 kidney disease and one day you're going to need a kidney. 20 years later, I still don't understand how I have kidney disease from drinking Coke. That's all they could tell me is drinking soda somehow caused my kidneys to fail. For me to try to tell you that I understand biblical prophecy would be a mistake. But what I can tell you is I'm a Berean. 
And what I mean by I'm a Berean is I love God's word. And because I love God's word, I'm not afraid of jumping into God's word and trying to figure out something. And so to talk about prophecy with you guys this morning, for me to tell you what I'm going to tell you is definitive and I figured it all out, I'm not telling you that. I'm simply telling you I believe that God's word is simple enough and refined enough that if we take it at face value, it gives us encouragement to plug that into what's happening today and say, okay, here's where we are on the timeline. This is what it should do for us, right? If the word is from God and it's inspired, and we believe that, then it shouldn't create a situation for us to fall back into our own understanding, which is going to be a key verse for us today. This, so it's a topical message, lots and lots of messages. If you've got a sharp pencil today, you're going to need it, okay? But the idea is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is going to be a crucial component. Lean not into your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So do not lean on me. I am not trying to figure this out and tell you definitively that I'm trying to lean on the Spirit of God. I'm trying to lean on him and say, okay, my heart is still proverbially wicked. My mind is still fluttered by all these other things, but I know that all things work together for you. So I want to trust you in what you've told me, and I want to believe that what you said is you understand what's going on. I also don't want to tell you to take your fear and rub some dirt on it, okay? That's what my dad told me to do with every injury I ever had. And it didn't work, but it made me really tough. But I'm not going to tell you that I don't believe in your fear or it's unsubstantiated. I'm simply going to remind you that when it comes to fear, church, when it comes to fear, okay, we don't have fear. We have fear. Okay? The difference in Greek is reverential awe. Proverbs 1.7, crucial component for us to understand what we're going to talk about today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Fear, oh, the sky is falling and Israel's going to go at war and World War IV. We don't have that fear. It has to fall. Everything about what he said, every T must be crossed, every I must be dotted. Everything that the word of God has said must come true, must come true. But in that same sense, if the words that were given to us were from Jesus then like any father who tries to comfort his children, I believe that he gave it to comfort us, to encourage us, to exhort us to say, hey, look, even if the sky is falling, it didn't just start falling today. Matter of fact, it's been falling the whole time. From the moment Jesus ascended back into heaven, the sand started falling in the sand, in the, in the hourglass. And we have been on a countdown since then, and we will continue to be on one. Because that's so crucial to me, this is what I hope to do. I hope to give you five kind of latch points to hold on to. Five points in the timeline that you can look at, you can hear, and maybe one will be more significant than another's, but I'm really hoping that each one will trigger a sequence, and you'll see how the sequence lays out to understand something. That if the Lord said this must happen, then it will happen. And if he knew us before we were born and he knows when we're going to take our last breath, then nothing that's what's happening with us today is unknown to the Lord. That being said, because it's unknown to us, it should still not be a discomfort. But rather, if we trust God's word, we'll find comfort in it. Some passages for your small group studies as the small groups continue. By the way, I understand there's some new small groups forming. So if you're interested in a small group, great time to fill out a connection card. Uh, we have one that's kind of forming for the 30, 40s, and then uh, another one that's going to be 50s and up. So if you're interested in that, great. These are some verses that would be great for your small group study. 
Matthew 24. I mean, a good portion of that passage, we're going to be in it. The corresponding passages from the Synoptic Gospels, Mark 13, 5 through 23, Luke 21, 9 through 20, 2 Peter 3, pretty much the whole, whole chapter of that part, and then 1 and 2 Timothy. It's just spread out through 1 and 2 Timothy as Paul was trying to give young Timothy some hope and encouragement about what it would look like. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to address it, and I'm going to try to go as proficiently as possible. But if you end up having questions at the end of the service, if you end up having anything that feels still unanswered, I just want you to know, between myself, the elders, Pastor Bill, we're more than happy to try to sit down and address those with you. But the goal of today is to stand off the passages that we've been reading and try to address this uh, situation in light of prophecy, in light of what's happening in the world, and not fearing what the world has to offer us or wants to do to us, but trusting God's word. Can we see the timeline about what's happening today in a different perspective than even though we know that tomorrow war may be on the foreground of tomorrow, even though it may be, we can trust that God's word has something to say to encourage his people to keep that main thing the main thing. Go, make, baptize, and teach. Would you pray with, the, pray with me this morning? Father God, I just come to you this morning, and I know that the church, they, that we love you. I know that we all have varying degrees of hopes and fears and, and excitements and different things that we want. I, I can't help but think about my grandchildren and think about what I want for them and yet I worry about the kind of world that they're going to be growing up in compared to the world that I just felt like I just was privileged to grow up in. And as all these things change and all these nuances happen and then we look at what's happening in Israel and we think, those are your people. And those who pray for Israel will be blessed and those who support Israel will be blessed. And yet 2% of Israel is believers. Father, would you use this situation? Would you allow this incredibly horrific act that has happened to them, Father, would you allow this to bless and encourage the 2%? Would the 2% go to 3% and 4%? Father, would you start something in Israel? Would you start something with your people that would just be a reminder to all of us that time is limited? Urgency is necessary. But Father, more than anything, a biblical perspective of understanding that it, it has to be Israel. There was only one Messiah that came to save the world, and he never claimed to be from any other people group but from the Jews. And so as we look at the world today, it does not surprise me that they are 50% of most hate crimes that happen in the world today happen against your people. Father, protect them. Give their leadership wisdom. Give our leadership wisdom, Father, that makes no sense to us about how it could come about, Father, but everything that's on this timeline and everything that will happen to us, good, bad, or indifferent, even as we see the days getting longer and greater animosity towards those of us who believe, Father, may the encouragement that comes from your word be a source of strength, a safe harbor that we can anchor into so that we know, Father, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So help us, God. We do it in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So like I said this week, it's been very interesting. And when things, when I struggle with things, one of the things I like to do is I like to sit down and watch war movies. If you don't know that about me, I'm, I'm a war buff. I love war movies. And if they're good, I'm going to watch them 10, 15, 20 times. I feel like there's something about being in battle 
there's camaraderie in that, right? I mean, if Ephesians 6 talks about we wrestle not with those things seen, but of principalities in dark and light, I have to remind myself that there's a reason why getting up and going to church this morning was a struggle. There's a reason why when your kids come home drunk or the disappointment of your life happens, there's a reason why trying to sit down with them and godly presenting an option is such a struggle. There's a reason why everything that we do that's religious-based is such a struggle because we're wrestling with principalities that we do not see but exist. Amen? So I watch these war movies. I watch them over and over again. I watch them over and over again, and I don't know what it is, but I'm looking for that nuance. I'm looking for that little insight that tells me how I can maybe one day when I'm in war remember something, and by not forgetting where we've been, I won't commit that same crime as we move forward in life. And this was the movie I watched this week, Midway, the Battle of Midway. I was so enthralled this time watching it. I've seen it so many times. I just figured there could be nothing new. And yet as I watched it, I heard something and I, and I noticed something and I wrote it down very specifically. And for those of you that don't like war movies, and I apologize, but this is going to be a few minutes long because I want to tell you something. Something happened at the Battle of Midways that was so small and so insignificant. But it proves to me one thing about God's word. Prophecy can happen to us because we have inside information. And what happened from them was a simple code breaker got a message that on the island of AF, an attack was going to happen. On the island of AF was all the code breaker knew, but the people on Midway had also known some things about the code breakers. And so they decided to send some messages out to see if they could figure out where this attack was going to happen. And this time, unlike Pearl Harbor, where we didn't know the attack was going to happen, we sent out a simple thing and said, hey, there's a water problem with the filtration on, on Midway Island, just to see what kind of feedback we would get. And there the code breakers found a new message coming through, Warning, AF has water filtration issues, may affect RAID. And just like that, with a simple amount of code-breaking information, it was presented to us this time, the opportunity to know attack was coming. Right? Trust me, church, this is so important. If I can convince you that we know attack is coming and we have inside information about that attack, then it can change everything. And this is what happened. Chester Nimitz, one of the three commanders, then said, this time, unlike Pearl Harbor, where they snuck up on us and sunk 19 of our ships, eight battleships destroyed 347 of our airplanes and killed 2,400 of our men as we slept, this time we're going to be ready for them. You see, Midway is not just any island. It's the island between Japan and the U.S. It literally means whoever has the island of Midway and the runway at Midway Hawaii and then California are the first places they're coming to. And so this time what he did is he allowed the people on Midway, I think the 600, 900 defenders, depending on what source you look at, this time on June 3rd, 1942, about six months after Pearl Harbor, this time he let them come. He let them come and he let Midway take it full force and he held some of his Navy back, including a recently repaired carrier called the Enterprise, which the Japanese were convinced they had destroyed when they attacked Pearl Harbor. A little bit of information goes a long way, and as the battle starts to happen, Admiral Yamamoto is convinced of one thing. He has six carriers, six, four heavy and two light. As he comes to Midway, he is the superior power in the Pacific, right? Our enemy right now thinks he is the superior power in the world that we're in, but he made a terrible mistake. See, there's a filtration problem at AF. And we know the battle's coming. 
Yamamoto comes into Midway and he brings everything he got and he laid it down. And as the battle began, he was convinced of one thing. With such light resistance, he was going to destroy Midway. And he was wrong. You see, our enemy right now thinks he's going to destroy us. He thinks he has all the superior power and all the superior information. And and what he doesn't realize is we're going to let him think that he has that battle because our Navy is actually off to sea waiting. And what are they waiting for? After the waves of airplanes come in and attacks, those waves of airplanes now have to go back to their carriers and land. And that's when you signal the attack. The first attacks come in from the Hornet and the Yorktown, our two carriers that they know about. And we send in torpedo bombers. Now, the interesting thing about a torpedo bomber is it flies really low and really slow, and it flies just above the water, and it has to come in at such an angle that it can drop a torpedo to try to attack a plane. The problem is these carrier groups were so proficient with their armament, whatever, not one torpedo bomber is going to make it in. And Yamamoto is convinced after seeing the Hornet and the Yorktown Torpedo bombers come in and shooting him down. He's just now turned the tide of aerial superiority. So he makes another terrible mistake. He says, okay, change our planes from torpedo bombers, since they have no Navy to attack, to bombs. And just then he creates a little bit of of kind of a, a hiccup in how this is working. And so now the carriers, all six of them, become loaded with bombs being exchanged on planes. And just then... As if God himself says, okay, here's what happens. There's another carrier out there, the Enterprise, that sent their planes in. One man, McCluskey, has been flying around with a group of SBD Dauntless dive bombers waiting to try to find out where to go. And they find one Japanese ship has been held back. It's been held back for such a reason that it's now speeding at flank speed, the fastest it can go, towards where the enemy is. And unknown to this dive bomber group, if they don't see this one plane and follow this one ship in, they would run out of gas. They follow him in, and he brings them right to the entire Japanese fleet. This whole timeline, 45 minutes. At that point in time, he brings them into view... And then diving out of the sun, the Enterprise's bombers come in. They're called SBD Dauntless Divers. The SBD means slow but deadly. Heavily armored, designed to do one thing, drop straight down at full speed. And the Japanese carriers have been so kind enough to put a big, giant imperial sun on the deck. The dive bombers report coming out of the sun and seeing the red circle. It was like they were being guided in. The first carrier is hit. The first carrier is hit, and the, and the bombs hit the decks, and the planes are being changed over from torpedo to bombs. And because of that, they're explosive. The decks are explosive. And you see the first carrier, the Kaga. It goes up in flames. Just then, the second wave finds the Agaki, the, the other Japanese carrier, heavy carrier. And the same thing, the bombs hit the deck. And beautifully, all these things happen. And it's said that the actual plate where the planes come up and down, the actual plate is blown off of the ship from the bombs hitting it, and it goes up in flames. All the time and the energy spent by the Captain McCluskey and this guy is turning out to be an incredible turn. And finally, the torpedo bombers that came in from the Yorktown also came in with 17, not a full squadron, a full squadron is 24, but 17 SPDs were available. And just after the Enterprise's bombers hit, the, inter- the, the SPDs come down from the Yorktown and they find the Soryu heavily open to attack and they drop their bombs on it. And now the third carrier is up in flames. Yamamoto has made a terrible mistake. 
He's not only underestimated his enemy, but he was convinced that there was only two carriers. And many times as, this, as we see this happen in war, our enemy overestimates his true position. All Captain McCluskey can do now is drive back with his things. But in the fury of this whole thing, Yamamoto's mistake also made one other problem. He could not release any new planes out to defend themselves until all the planes had come in. And so another small window was allotted. And the last carrier, the Hiru, is now available to be bombed. And then the return flights from the Enterprise come back and they drop bombs on it. One of the guys who actually bombed the first carrier comes back and becomes the only pilot ever to hit two carriers in one day. A small group of planes, a small amount of information, and seemingly overwhelming odds. It's one hour from start to finish, and now four carriers are aflame. Yamamoto has absolutely lost the entire power and strength of the Pacific War. And not only does the war change, but we do not have the Western United States or Hawaii being overrun. He can never recover from this one incident. So when I tell you today that I'm going to give you some insight and some information from God's Word, I want you to realize that there's no such thing as insignificant inside information from God's Word. Any information that we get from God's word is significant and it can change the battle that you're going through. And because of that, the first piece of information that I want to give you today is this idea that somehow, someway, only a certain amount of people know biblical prophecy. The truth about the church right now in general is you don't even hear churches trying to address this. What most churches have fallen back on is comfort messages where you feel good, okay? Kind of the Richard Simmons approach to church come on in and be all cheerful and aren't we doing good and there and there's more of a fear of saying it's not all good matter of fact it's not only not all good it's going to get a lot worse and because it's going to get worse we have to dig in and we have to be prepared to fight and this isn't the kind of stuff where just one person's figured it out and another person anyone who goes to god's word and prays lord may your spirit guide and lead me remember reverential awe the fear of the lord i believe that the lord would show you the same thing it's time to change our plans and get ready. Remember, key verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm not asking you to figure this out. I don't want you to figure this out. I don't want you to try to figure it out. I want you to lean on the Lord. Trust in his understanding. Here's the first contextual verse that you need to understand. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, be alert, since you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, be alert, you do not know. Okay? That is, in, that is a definitive statement. You do not know, I do not know. And any person that has gone before us and says, I know, what do we know about that person? They're lying. Okay? The confidence we have in God's word has to be that every piece of information, AF is a pretty insignificant amount of information, but when AF became midway, it became super significant. It allowed them to be prepared for the battle that was coming. And this is super important to you because since you do not know when the Lord is coming, what I can tell you is be ready today. Okay? What else does the Bible tell us? 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a flash, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound. Does that sound like any of us have a clue when it's going to happen? 
It's not that we're clueless. We're clueful, okay? And because we now know we don't know and we will never know, that now becomes a non sequitur. What that means is no longer available for you to have conversations with me about, but Pastor Jeff, I'd like to talk to you about signs. I don't know. I just know that it will. Because when the Bible says every T will be crossed and every I and everything that the Word of God has said is true, then, then he is coming. And whether he comes premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, or bicentennial, I don't know. Okay? We'll all be right or wrong then. We'll get over that. But he's coming. And because he's coming, this is what we need to do. If I ask you this question, I want you to think about this before you answer. If I told you today, definitively, at 12 o'clock, the Lord was going to come, I'd be wrong. But if you and I both thought that might be true, what would you do between 1046, which it is right now, and 12 o'clock? Because that's what you need to start praying about. That is what you need to start focusing on. Because if we all had the perspective that he's coming in an hour and a half, what do I need to do today to make my life appropriate for the salvation that I've been given? How do I say to that particular thing right there, that hideous piece of death, thank you. I, I don't deserve what I received in that. You didn't deserve what you received in that. And to say thank you for the salvation that's been given to me, and I know I've got an hour and 15 minutes left, what do I need to do? Because that's the first thing you need to do. You need to stop worrying about the timeline of what's going to happen with Israel and Gog and Magog. By the way, that's the next thing that's going to happen. It's, it's all going to happen, and then it's all going to happen the way it's going to happen. Whether you're super into prophecy and how it all works out, it doesn't matter because it's still going to happen. But if you said, there's some things that I would do differently if I knew, that's the first thing that I want you to start praying about. Because starting tomorrow, you need to do it differently. Because the truth is, we don't know. And the problem is, is that every generation in God's word believed they were the generation when God was coming. Can you believe that? As I went to look into God's word, and I said, I wonder if this is new. It's not new. From the beginning of the New Testament and all throughout the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Peter 1, Hebrews 1, and the passage I'm going to share with you, the church has believed that God was coming every generation. And you know what? They were wrong. So what can we do? If, if, if we're wrong about this whole thing, then what can we do to be right about it? Well, we can read what the Scripture writes. We can go back to the encouragement that Paul was trying to give Timothy and let me read this passage to you because this is pretty specific what he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Choose this day, by the way. Choose this day who you will serve, Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right, young Timothy, you think you're going to experience something? How about this? Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And that generation was wrong. But doesn't that sound familiar? Would you have any argument about any of those hideous words used about what we see and what we hear today? My point is simply this, is 
if you become so focused on what the word of God says and you forget that this has all been planned out, is like this generation, when they, when they first heard this, they could say, yeah, but we have a, a running tally board of all the things that are happening and we can see all the signs are being full. So what does that actually mean? Birth pains, okay? Any mothers in here, any fathers in here, grandparents have gone through childbearing things. Birth pains happen when? From the very beginning to the very last second, right? There's the, the, although we have a nine-month timeline, the Lord doesn't have a timeline like we do. Is God inside of time? Okay. No, he's not. He created time is for us. We are inside of time. He is outside of time. A day to you is like what to him? A thousand years. So don't get confused about timelines. Well, nine months, and this, you're leaning into whose understanding? That's why you're messed up. Okay? You're a human, I'm just telling you, but that's why you're messed up. You, you don't get to figure this stuff out. You can only listen to what God's word says, and the first thing that it tells you is be ready. If you're not ready, then that's why you're having a problem with it. But if you're ready and you're living in such a way that today the Lord could come, it's going to give you perspective, and we're going to work on that. Because ultimately what he tried to say to Timothy was in 1 Timothy 4.1. What do these things actually have to do with the church? They will cause people, 1 Timothy 4.1, they will cause people to abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits. That's what happened to the first generation of churches that said, we've got this figured out and the Lord is coming. And Paul said, no, you don't have it figured out. Instead, you're missing out on what it actually does. It breaks the church apart. It breaks up the confidence and the strength that we have to believe that God's word is sufficient, not only for our salvation, but for today. So what do we need to do then if we need to be ready? We need to be bold. Okay? What did David write in Psalm 28? To you, O Lord, I will lift my, I will lift my hands. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. What about what the church did in Acts 4.29 when the church was born? Do you remember what the church prayed for prior to the message of 3,500 people, 5,000 people coming to the Lord? Specifically, the word boldness. You see, if I'm ready and I'm bold, then what I'm saying is I don't, I'm not going to worry about the end times or how it works out because my Lord said it will be that way. And if he said it, then it's going to be that way. What I have to figure out is how I can go, make, baptize, and teach every day because that's the final commission he gave me. And so that supersedes everything else that I think and I want to do. How do we be bold? First Timothy, once again, we're falling back to First Timothy. We got to go back to it because Paul's telling that first church that was struggling with it, okay, Timothy, I will now give you the instructions of how you pray, be ready, and be bold, and what to actually do with that. First Timothy 4, 2 through 3. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. By the way, that's one of my favorite sermons. I haven't done it in a few years, but that is one of my favorite sermons in the Bible because it is biblical. It's a biblical recipe on how you deal with a problem. In order to rebuke something, it has to be biblical. It's, it's not something you like or dislike. It has to be biblical. 
to, in order to reprove something, you then have to ask them to cut it away. Remember, it's the pruning process of removing something. And once you've reproved something and, uh, and explained from the Bible what it is, you then have to exhort someone. And it literally means draw close. If you're about to share something with somebody that you don't like that they're doing and it's not biblical, then there's your understanding if you ask me, what should I do? Because if it's not biblical, you can't rebuke them. You can only rebuke someone when it's biblical. You rebuke them, hey, I heard you using the Lord's name in vain. I appreciate the fact that you're not thinking about it, but for me, that's a, that's a problem. Would you please reconsider any other name? That's a rebuke, reprove. Instead, why don't you say your own name and see how that feels to you? Maybe, you know, Jeremy Darnett or whatever. If that works for you, then try that. But in the meantime, I love you. I appreciate that. But, but since we're spending time together and iron sharpens iron, I really want you to know I would appreciate if you not use the Lord's name in vain. Does that make sense? That is a biblical following of that. And if you do that, what will happen? Well, the problem is going to come with time, uh, verse 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. How familiar does that sound? Right? So you don't want sound doctrine. That's sound doctrine right there. Reprove, rebuke. And you don't want sound doctrine. You don't want iron sharpening iron if you're glass and I'm iron. Because I'm going to shatter you. And you're going to be like, hey, you're supposed to be my pastor. You're supposed to be... My I can't help that. If I bring the word of God to bear in our relationship and it shatters you, that's between you and the Lord. But friendship's always optional, right? I've said this from day one and I'm going to say this 10 years from now. Friendship's always optional with me. Faithfulness is not, right? I have to be faithful to him. I've made a commitment to serve him with my life. So because of that, I have to honor what God's word says above my own wants, wishes, and desires, if you can respect that and I can respect that, what's the result of that? Then we won't be fooled. Remember he told them in 1 Timothy and 4, they're going to be fooled and they're going to follow false doctrines. So we're not going to be fooled to follow all this stuff if we stay true to what God's word is saying. This idea of ears being tickled, think about what most of the news is. I have a problem with the news. I don't have a problem telling you that. But I mean, it just doesn't feel like news anymore if we're interviewing someone who's a friend of someone who went out on a date with someone who recently died. I literally saw an interview yesterday. I won't even say who the person was. Her claim to fame to be on TV was that she went on a date with someone who recently died. That doesn't feel like news to me. That feels like ears being tickled, right? What can you tell me about one date that you've been on with someone? It's not worth my time to do that. And I get frustrated and I look at my wife and I say, it just feels like whatever we're going to, if our source of encouragement is the TV, we're doomed. We're doomed because we're leaning to our own understanding, like somehow the, that's going to be where it comes from. Like that's not where it's coming from, church. Not today, not tomorrow, and not next week. Remember who's in charge of the airwaves. He has a very specific name, and, and it's a very specific role. As previously one of the, the higher angels, he's in charge of the airwaves. Airwaves? Information? 2 Timothy 1.7. Because the Spirit of God has given us something that says... It does not make us timid, but gives us power. This is the Greek word dudamos, the root word for dynamite, right? It gives us power and love and self-discipline. So the third thing we need to do, we need to be ready. We need to be bold. But now we need to pray with the spirit that says, I'm not afraid. This word timid, fear, that's why this passage was titled today, How to Not Fear. You can only get to how to not fear if you change your fear from, ah, oh, the sky is falling, to come, Lord, come, let the sky fall. Because what's behind the sky falling? 
if we read scripture, the new Jerusalem is when the sky does fall and it will fall. What's following it is a seven-year tribulation is Gog and Magog, okay? What's going to happen is everything that he said will happen, whether we understand it or not, and we'll walk through it beautifully with him, and we will get to a point one day where everything that has been wrong will be righted, and we, will, we spend eternity with him here on this rebuilt, beautiful planet in the way that it was in the garden, and the fruit of our hands will once again be seen, and we have something to look forward to. So when the sky is ready to fall, then Lord, come home. We're ready. Biblical boldness means when you pray, you're not asking God to release you from the fear. You're asking God to release you from the captivity that fear makes us do this and instead say, Lord, even if it means I have to die, even if it means that some pain is coming my way, I'm not going to live in such a way that I'm hopeless, but I'm hopeful. Okay? Your goal with God's word is not to read it and then become hopeless. Your, your job is to read God's word and be hopeful so that as the storms of life are crashing all around you, you are now that anchor point. You are now that one floating dock in the harbor that for some reason the whole harbor is tossing and turning, but there's one harbor point that's just sitting there and it's flat. And everyone who's drowning and everyone who's floating and needs it, they all swim for that one point. I think Glenn told me this week when we had that trunk retreat, he said, I haven't seen kids in the neighborhood for a couple years, but it was an interesting thing. When the lights came on and I came out of my house, I could see all the people on Magnolia Street moving towards one area, towards the light. Right? Is that a cool insight or what? I mean, for me, and I'm simple. I like that kind of stuff. I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. When it's dark, man, the value of light goes way up. Church, there's a time coming where this planet's going to go dark. And there will be no light available except for the light that comes out of you because of your confidence to be bold, to be ready, and to pray without fear. Even this morning, I had a conversation with someone about praying. Uh, my friend is struggling. They have health issues, so I don't know what else I can do but to pray. We've got to work on that verbiage. We've got to rethink how that works, right? Because your friend is sick and because it's come to you, your prayer now could be the thing that holds back the rain for two years. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. And because you can pray and believe that you pray and that a righteous, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, you pray earnestly and say, heal that person for no apparent reason other than it would just do you well, Lord. And you can. Right? Can he still heal? He can still do whatever he wants whenever he wants. So you pray and you pray without fear and you pray boldly because... Who, who is it up to? It's not up to us to know when, when the walls are going to fall. We just walk and we pray. If it's seven days for the walls to fall, so be it. If it's seven minutes, then so be it. But when the Lord says, walk and pray, church, walk and pray without fear. When you have a problem, the goal is not for you to change the enemy's mind. Okay? I'm not asking you to change the enemy's mind. I'm simply, I want you to understand something. We already know how the enemy thinks. We need to change our plans, okay? He's coming to attack you. He's coming to attack your marriage. He's coming to attack something that's valuable and significant to you. Why? Because he hates families. Why do you think families are under attack? Why do you think identity is under attack? These are all things that are valuable to God, right? He wants to attack something because the word of God says it would happen. So when we speak to another, when we speak to another and we're speaking because we're, 
we're being bold, we're being ready, and we're doing it without fear. What is the results of this? When we trust God's word, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us this. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who are fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be caught up with him together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18. Therefore, what's there a therefore in the Bible? It's there for a reason to tell you the significance of what was just written before it. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Church, if if what we have in God's word does not allow us to encourage one another, if what we have in God's word is not sufficient enough to build faith and to build hope, then we too would be hopeless like the very world that we've been called into. Someone said, Pastor Jeff, you know, this whole thing with Israel is frustrating. When I see Israel, I don't see a godly nation. Do you think Israel sees a godly nation in the U.S.? Where, where do you see the godly nation? If you want to have a conversation off book right now, okay, where is the godly nation? I'll tell you where Christianity is growing faster than anywhere else. North Korea. You know where else it's growing? Saudi Arabia. You know where places that will cost you your life to be a believer have a faster growing percentage rate of new believers in faith than places like this beautiful place that we live in right now. You have to be challenged for what you have to realize what you have. To see the value of what we have, we need a paradigm shift, church. We can't think, if I said the Lord's coming in a week, okay, what would you get ready in a week? Okay, if the Lord's coming in a year, five years, the point of it is, is if you would change something, if there's something physically tangible that you would change, that's why it's not working right now. Because you're saying, I got time. What does the Bible say about the guys who say, why are we worried about it? Tomorrow we'll go there, and tomorrow we'll plant vineyards, and tomorrow we'll do this, and tomorrow we'll do that. What does the Bible say about those guys? They're wrong. Right? right? It's, you're wrong. You do not have tomorrow. You have stage five kidney disease, and you're the one that don't have tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. Because that's what the Bible says. Not, I'm not telling you that I know. I don't know. But I know this. You don't have tomorrow. My brother Ben is not sitting back there right now, and that doesn't do well for me. My brother Ben is 90-something years old and fights every week. But you know who the first person in this church is at 9.30 every Sunday? My brother Ben. But he's not here this morning. COVID has come knocking on Ben's door. And you know who else has COVID? His caretaker, his daughter. And she's not afraid of anything. She just loves her dad, wants to take care of him. Do you know why that doesn't bode well for me? Because that back left section is our rock. That back left section of this church reminds me that faithful believers have seen this and have done this and have watched the Lord do it time and time again. And when we drop one from that back section, it shakes me a little. Like part of the reason I want to go to heaven and part of the reason I'm excited about heaven coming down one day is don't you want to see Merv again restored? Can you imagine Merv and Jean and what they look like right now? See, I want to see my best friend. I miss my best friend. We had 28 years together. Like Jonathan and David, my entire life was Ken. I miss him. That's why when I see my brother 
John show up and I get to think about playing golf with them. I get excited about relationships because all this stuff matters to me. And there's a sense of urgency because I'm trying to be ready, but I realize we don't have tomorrow. There's people in this church today that I know from six years ago that used to sit with other people. And my heart goes out to those of you that have lost. But you haven't lost. They're waiting. And that's what's going to be exciting about when it comes down, right? Restoration. They're not lost. They've never been more found. Amen? We have to have a perspective that says we're not going to let the fears and phobias steal our faith. That's our faith it's stealing. That's his faith that he gave to us. Not because of something we did or something you did or I did. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but I have it. So what am I going to do with it? I'm going to use it to be ready, to be bold, to pray without fear, and encourage one another. Because the fear of war, even the end of time, simply means this, death. 1 Corinthians wrote us a passage to talk to us specifically about the word death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Therefore, death is no more, for it has been swallowed up in the victory on the cross. Death is no more, church. You don't have a right to talk about death. I don't have a right to talk about death anymore as being some kind of horrible, horrific end to something. Death is the beginning of the introduction to the rest of our lives with the Lord. Is it uncomfortable and does it cause pain? And do we miss those people that we love? Yes, because we're human beings and we were designed to feel like that. But does it release us to something that is bigger and better and a reminder of what we're actually struggling for in this world? Yes, okay? My hope is not in Channel 5 to come on tonight and give me something that provides hope for eternity. Matter of fact, when I turn on Channel 5, I just think to myself, why do I keep giving in to the world? My hope is in Christ, and my hope is in God's Word, and my hope is that when God wins and we're raptured with Him, that the second chance that the world gets when they have to claim aliens stole the, a billion people or two billion people is that people are going to have to realize there's no such thing as that. So since there's no such thing as that, where did all those people actually go? Two will be in a field, one will be plowing, gone. Matter of fact, this week on the whole Instagram and the meme world and the Facebook, I saw an actual body cam of supposedly an officer pulling someone over. And I know, you know, it's like a farmed video kind of thing. They farmed it. And he's talking to the person and he turns back to his car and he says, hey, I need your license. And they're not there. You think that's all for show and tell? It's conditioning. Because it's going to happen. Because that's what the word of God says it's going to happen. And so they're trying to prep people for it some way. So that they have an option to fall back on. Because they're going to look ridiculous when God's word said it. And we said it for generation after generation after generation after generation. But it didn't happen until everything that it said was completed. So let's get to the last thing. What does it say? Matthew 24, 4. This is it. This is our big passage. In the same situation as the church was overwhelmed, the reality was, did you recognize whose words are being spoken? If you have a Bible, from the words on, from Matthew 24, 4 on, can you read the letters, the color of the letters? Your Bible should say what? What does it say, Janie? Red? What do red letters mean to you? Jesus is speaking, Okay. If, if I'm a dad and I'm telling my children and I sit down and my kids are having a difficult time in life and I get to sit down and try to comfort them, 
I can guarantee you the words that I'm going to speak to my children are meant to encourage my children, right? These are his words. This is powerful, powerful stuff. You could read this time and time again and overwhelm yourself, but that's not what it meant to be. Look right in the beginning. And Jesus answered them, read, see that no one leads you astray. Timothy, you're a young guy. You're coming up in the ranks. Let me tell you something. The reason why they're going to say all these things and do all these things is it will cause some to fall away. Don't be foolish and follow this stuff. It's foolishness. It's lies to follow. It's always about the main thing. It's about drawing believers away. He can't win, right? He can't win, but what can he do? He can cause you to doubt. And if he causes you to have enough doubt and enough hopelessness, you might buckle and you might cave. And you might turn your back from the very thing that is your salvation. And Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. With all the stuff that I'm about to list here and all the stuff that's been listed, it's all going to happen. But that doesn't give you a right to be astray. It's actually going to say at the end what it should do and what it could do. Besides making you bold, besides making you ready, besides giving you no fear and how to use it for encouragement. Many will come saying, I am the Christ and I will lead many astray. Do you know how many people have come claiming to be Jesus Christ? Is this a fact that you guys are all, yeah. It wasn't just Charles Manson. You guys remember Manson. He's a nice guy, right? He, he claimed to be Jesus Christ. The stuff that he did, he claimed to be Jesus Christ. He's not the only person. I went back uh, 500 years. There's 50 documented people throughout the timeline in the last 500 years that have claimed specifically to be Christ. This is not new information. This has been going on since he left. And they will continue to claim this kind of ridiculous information for one reason, so that they can lead some astray. Another famous one for our generation, Jim Jones in Guyana. Look them up if you have time to look up with the stuff. I'm not giving you all the details. I'm giving you the truth and the whole truth as quick as I can, but it's here. It's documented. And as I walk through this line, I look through each one of these specifically. It's all documented. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. Okay, how many rumors of wars? Uh, in the last 500 years, according to statistics, there have been 8,000 to 12,500 wars, existing wars or rumors of war. What about Israel? It's all in the timeline. They're going to continue to be wars and rumors of war. Until what? Until the war of all wars. To where the blood, the blood runs to the horse's bridle. Okay? You guys know how tall horses are? I'm not talking mini horses here. I'm talking horse. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of dead people. That's where it's going. It has no choice but to go there because it's written down that it will go there. Now, whether or not we're going to be here, I can talk to you off book about that, but I have a feeling we're not, but it will continue until then. But see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. It's not yet. You can't say, but Pastor Jeff, but Pastor, it doesn't matter what we think or feel. I don't, I, the sky is falling, Chicken Little. It, the sky is falling. You're right, but it's been falling for thousands of years. And it will continue to fall until the Lord pulls that curtain with it, and then down with it comes the new Jerusalem. But it's not over yet. So it's going to get worse? Uh-huh. 
It's going to get worse. So what do we do? Keep reading. Now nation will rise against nation. Well, didn't Rome already rise against all the other nations? Uh, it, yes, but it will continue to where other nations are going to continue to rise. And one of the things you can see when you see poor little Israel the size of New Jersey is that every single nation that surrounds poor little Israel hates them. Can you imagine if we all hated New Jersey? If Maine and Vermont and some of the surroundings, they would just wipe New Jersey out, right? I mean, this is a little boot sliver of nothing, Israel. Think about that, guys. In the world that we live in today, Israel, the size of New Jersey, a couple hundred thousand people. This is, why is it in the news? Why is it part of every... Why does Stalin have to kill millions of them? You think the, Jew, the Germans killed a lot? The, the, the Russians killed a lot of Jews, too. 52% it's documented right now. 52% of hate crimes worldwide are against Jews. 52%. They win. They're over half. Why? It's just a little boot sliver of nothing in the middle of nowhere. Because somebody came from there and claimed to be from there and said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so it will continue to be in spotlight until it's all been reconciled. But what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything because get ready for wars, famines, and earthquakes. Famines since the 1800s, 120 million have died. Earthquakes since the 1900 and recorded, over 10,000 have taken place. It says it's going to happen. And it's been happening every single day. And it continues to happen. But what was the tsunami last year killed 230,000. Remember that one in Thailand? 200,000 people died. But we want to see the girl who went on a date one time with the star who died. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Who, who, who's fooling who here, church? You watching it. You're supporting it, and you're letting it get under your skin, and, and then all of a sudden your neighbor who's dying and going to hell and drinking beer and celebrating whatever evil he does, and you're thinking, I got no one to talk to. I got... That's your ministry. It's right outside your front door. That prodigal child that you have that's been sending you to the ringer and sending you to the ringer, and you're like, why, 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 why? Because the thief on the cross is why. He ran his mom, he ran his dad, he ran his grandma, he ran someone up against the wall his entire life. I'm convinced of it. I, I'm going to meet the thief one day, and I'm going to get the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And here's what I believe, and I put everything I have on it, which is not a lot, but something. At least two fishing poles I'll put down on this. <laughs> i got to leave the other 12 for rich. He's already promised them. The thief on the cross is there for you prodigal parents. Every prodigal parent in here, I want you to understand something. The thief on the cross is for you. Do not give up praying boldly and without fear for that child. You do not know what's going to happen in that last breath. And don't you take that from them. Oh, Catholics have this thing about last breath and this whole, I don't care when someone comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. I care that they come. And if it's in their last breath, like my grandmother who was dying, and she was being tormented because she knew she wasn't going to be where my grandfather was. And as the Greek immigrant that she was, my mother finally did something that I can be thankful for. She walked that woman to salvation. 
And she was pleading with her, if you want to be where grandpa is, you've got to accept Jesus laying in front of me, watching my grandmother die. That kind of stuff doesn't go away. Because it's there to remind us of one thing. All these things, verse 8, are nothing but the beginning of birth pains. Beginning of. Not the end of. Hurry up and get ready tomorrow. The beginning of. Church, I can't make this stuff up. I'm just reading God's word to you. you got to be able to read it the same way and get the same thing. It's the beginning of. So if it's nine months for pregnancy, it's nine months. But if a day is a thousand to the Lord, it still doesn't tell us anything. But it does tell us it's the beginning. So we can't get overwhelmed right now. It's going to get worse. How much worse? Then they will deliver you up for my name's sake, and you will be put to death. You will be hated by all the nations. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead people astray. I don't know about you, but I'm not seeing many right now. I'm seeing some. I mean, quantifiably some. Maybe it's more than not. Maybe we're just being numb to it. But it seems to me, and lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. And then verse 13 just drops his hammer on my toe and it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And verse 14, why? Because this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now, that fact is so significant, and I'm going to save that for you for our communion thought. It has to go to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Keep that in mind as we get to communion. I'll, I'll make that last point perfectly clear. The bottom line is simply this. The one who endures will be saved. What is this all about? What has it always been about? What will it continue to be about? It was, it is, and will evermore be. It's about salvation. It's about being saved. It's about you sharing the love of Christ with the lost. If you're ready because no one knows, then every day that you live with that mindset, like today is the day that the Lord is coming, what do I need to do about it? will change your perspective so that when the enemy comes to attack you, you'll be ready to respond to that appropriately. If you pray, Lord, I want to be bold like the first church. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell my neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. The Lord's Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God will lead you in these troubled times to know what to say and know what to do. And if they don't want to believe and they don't want to listen, you knock the dust off and you go to the next neighbor. You don't stop. You know, I do my, I did my one checkbox, boom, done. No, it doesn't work like that. As you are going, okay? Great commission, that word go is the Greek word for traverse. It's a mountaineering term, meaning as you are going up the mountain. As you are going, go, make, baptize, teach. So I want to pray without fear. I want to be like the first church. And the result of that is I now can encourage with God's word. Is there anything else that ultimately this calls me to? That's four keys, Pastor Jeff. You said five. Here's the last one, church. Rather than dread his return or dread the end times or dread watching the news, the word of God tells us to change your perspective and to look forward to it. To look forward to it. You can't stop what the devil is going to do. He's going to do what he's going to do. But in the same sense, he can't stop what the Lord is about to do. 
And because that, you share with everyone that you meet, you share with every person that you have every day the opportunity, and you live like the song said, like you were dying. You live like you were dying. And all of a sudden, the urgency of the cross is now going to teach you something. What will it teach you? This is what Peter wrote to the church in Asia Minor. Twice he wrote this to them. It was so important, and they didn't get it the first time he wrote it twice. Beloved, this is my second letter to you. Both of them are reminders in you to stir yourself to wholesome thinking by recalling what was foretold to you by the holy prophets and commanded by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. Most importantly, you must understand that in the last days, the scoffers, they will come. And following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this promise of his coming? They will ask. Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it was from the beginning of creation. That hasn't happened yet. So you can be looking for that too. But they deliberately overlooked the fact that long ago, God's word in the heavens existed. And when the earth was formed out of the water and by the water and through which all of that has been made, time perished in the flood. And the same word the present heavens and the earth are reserved for by fire will be kept one day by the judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8, so beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. For with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are simply a day. But the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some have understood. Slowness. What is a slowness to the Lord? But he is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the reason for the delay. Right? He's holding that back so we have enough time to go share. But the day of the Lord will come, and it will be like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with the roar, and the elements will be completely destroyed by fire, and the earth, and as it works, will be laid bare. It will happen. But since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? For you ought to conduct yourselves in holiness and goodness as you anticipate and hasten the coming of the Lord. So when the heavens will be destroyed by fire and the elements will melt in the heat, verse 13, but in keeping with God's promise. This is his promise to us, church. We now are looking forward to the new heaven and forward to the new earth where righteousness dwells. And one final beautiful therefore. Therefore, beloved, as you anticipate these things, make every effort to be found at peace. Right? My Spanish friends, todo tranquilo. All is well with you. Why? Because you know something. What do you know? You're found spotless and blameless in his sight. The final component. Be ready. Be bold. Pray without fear. Use that to encourage one another's. And now anticipate, even look forward to the return. Let me say that again. We must look forward to the Lord returning. It's why we work. It's why we get up. It's why you go to work. You're not going to work just to pay your bills and make your house payment and try to show your kids a better way. That's not why you exist. You exist to show the glory of God in a saved person. 
whether it's 2% in Israel or 2% in the U.S. or 2% anyways, a lot of people claim to be believers, right? 8 billion people. I'm not sure how many of the 8 billion are going to go on that first call when the trumpet sounds, but it's going to happen. And when it does happen, people are going to want to know what happened. And all they'll have is all these video recordings and all these things. And I hope one day someone hears this and is listening to this and realizes that Jesus Christ said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. And that's it. I'm sorry if that's myopic and narrow in your mind. I'm sorry if that makes me narrow about my thinking. Because it's not what I think that's going to save you. I, I did not die for your sins. I cannot save you. Only he has the authority to do that. Either way, church, when we lean not upon our own understanding, something seriously radical happens. And what happens is we're no longer afraid. We get to take communion. We get to think about the different things that the Lord has said. And we get to be reminded we are a light in this dark world. We are leaving the light on for you, right? I love that little hotel chain. That's a fun one. We're leaving the light on for you, okay? In this house, the light will not go out. And I promise you, I may not know a lot, but what I do know is this, is I trust God's word more than I trust myself. If you don't trust yourself that much, you're in good company, but trust God's word more than you trust yourself. And don't lean into your own understanding and don't get overwhelmed by all the things you don't know. If God wanted people to be a certain way, if God only wanted theologians, then think about who he would have recruited to share the truth of who he was. He recruited guys like me, fishermen. He recruited tax collectors, right? He recruited the blue-collar people because that's what he wanted, people to distrust God in its most simplest form. I got a problem, I got a need, who can meet that? Yeshua can, Jesus can, and he's tried. As we get ready for communion, I'm going to ask uh, who's ever serving on this side to come forward, Randy, who's ever serving Rich and Joyce on this side, ask you guys to maybe come left and come right on that. Take a deep breath. Come on forward for communion. Take a deep breath, and I got one final shot I'll share with you once we have all the communion in our hand and we're ready to go. Church, it's not over. The best is yet to come. And part of what we get to do this morning when we take communion is remind ourselves it's by the strength and the blood of Christ that we get to fight this good fight. Would you please come forward and get the elements?
You know what, church? I promise you one last tidbit of information. I saved it for those of you that are OCD about really wanting to know the whole truth and the whole truth down to the last detail. You know, September we had Missions Month, and one of the missionaries that we had was Wycliffe Translators. Maybe you don't realize how valuable and significant it is to me that we have a Wycliffe translator as part of our missions care group. But if the Bible said it has to go to the ends of the earth before the Lord returns, then one of the few quantifiable facts that we can have for us need to have all the information is until it gets to the end of the earth, he can't come because he would be breaking his word. So when I was a kid, I got fascinated with that because Wycliffe said, I remember in like in the 70s and 80s when I accepted the Lord and we would talk about him, it would be like 100 years to them before they could translate the word of God into every known language. Why? It turns out there are 7,000 known languages. And it turns out that Wycliffe has not only been tracking how long it's going to take But one of the most recent estimates was 2150. 2150 to 2023. It's getting close. Would you know, because the world we live in is so exciting, that information that used to take 10 years to happen for us to be taking information, we fold, we fold, we fold. A 10-year block of information is now happening every year. That's how fast we're gaining information. That's how fast computers and processes are making. We're gaining 10 years in one year. So they readjusted it to 2038. Just like that, we lost some years. When I let my facial hair grow last week, I noted a big clump of gray right here and here. I'm like, ooh, it's happening. I didn't like that. But would you know in the last two years, they said that we've learned 20 years of information in the last year. Technology is flying. My phone and my watches, I was talking at Disneyland this week on a ride. The guy who worked at Disneyland said, it's like you're at Disneyland, man. I was talking in my watch and he was working at Disneyland and he was having a moment and I was just like, Siri's trying to answer me back. What do you need? Shut up, Siri. It's what I need you. Newest estimate, 2125. Did you hear that? 2125. We're in trouble. What time is it right now? I thought it was 2223. I don't know. I think I made a math error in there somewhere, but I know it's like in two years. And when I wrote this down, I realized I I added like extra time or something like that because in my brain, I couldn't even process writing it down. Two years? And they're going to translate the word of God into every known language and every known dialect? Two years? Maybe we are getting close, church. But two years is like 2,000 years to the Lord, thank gosh. So I still don't know, but I know it's getting close. And I know you can feel it because I can feel it too. But it doesn't change the main thing. So he gave us this incredibly simple ordinance and baptism. Two things he gave the church. 
to remind them that every time you eat this little piece of bread, this beautiful piece of boudine, sourdough, whatever this beautiful piece of bread is, that you're reminding yourself that you're not going to go through these two years or 2,000 years or 200 days or 200 hours or whatever it is. You will never go through it alone. That he and his spirit is with you so that you can be bold, so that you can be ready, so that you can actually pray without fear and then use the very word of in God to encourage the people that God has placed in your life. I don't want you to take this bread like they did thinking, but Lord, but, but Rabbi, it would be better for you to stay. Why would you leave? And he said, because I'm sending someone to you who will be with you until I return, the paraclete. He will walk alongside of you and he will share with you the truth. And this is the truth, church, that every time you take this and put this in your mouth and chew this, you are reminding this. You're not doing this of your own volition. You are not doing this of your own strength, but the very strength on the body that was given, right? He gave this for us. Do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, after he broke that bread, he took the cup, probably just one cup. They were all laying on their sides in a horseshoe facing one another and said, hey, look, this is symbolic of something really important. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Ah, those words, brutal. 58, I don't even know, 40 years in ministry, still brutal. It costs a lot for your salvation. Don't waste it in fear. Use it in fear. Reverential awe. You're not going through this alone. And you are not going through this as a sinner covered in the darkness and the black of your sin. You are going through this as Romans 8 says. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. No condemnation. Zero. You are going through this white as snow to him. Not because you could ever deserve this or figure it out. Because you won't. But he did. And every time you take this and drink this, you remind yourself. Until he returns, do this in remembrance of him. Father God, this morning, we come as we are, as you told us to come, broken and incomplete to the throne room of God, dressed in the very rags that we call our clothes. And we present ourselves to you, and you see us as these incredible, valuable, precious gifts like I see my grandchildren, like I see the children of this church. And we need a paradigm shift, Lord. We need a perspective change. We need to see things differently in this world that we're living in. Because if Ecclesiastes teaches that there is a time and a space for everyone, then this generation has been picked for this time, for such a time as this, that we have been picked. We are the church of Costa Mesa and the church at large that you have called to be your believers right here, right now. 
to our neighbors on Magnolia, to our neighbors on Broadway and Santa Ana and the surrounding areas. Father, may, may they realize when they step foot in this building, to every new person that has stepped foot in this building today, how significant they are and how grateful you are that they made an effort this morning to come celebrate your birth and celebrate your death and celebrate your burial and the best of all is your resurrection seated at the right hand of the Father today. Father, may everything that happens in this church, may every person who comes in this church and doesn't know that to be true be inspirational, that today, Father, would be the day that they come forward and receive Christ. It's never been a complex prayer. Matter of fact, that incredible thief on the cross still to date has the most simplest refined prayer that was ever given. He simply said, remember me, and that worked for you. But I think for the sake of just reminding ourselves, Father, if we wanted to pray something, if this, if this morning someone's hearing this and they wanted to pray, what could they pray? They could pray this. Dear Lord, I come to you. I give my life to you as you gave your life for me. I receive through the act of the cross forgiveness of my sins. And I receive you and your spirit as Lord and Savior of my life. Guide me. Direct me. May I be used for the kingdom of God for your sake. And may everything that comes from our mouth, from this individual's mouth, or this church's mouth, or every follower of Christ, bring honor and glory to and through the name above all names, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Are we grateful to have a pastor that preaches the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Yes, by all means. So by all means, let's stand together because today we're going to declare something magic. Not in a special magician way, but we're going to just let it be known. Because of the Word of God in our lives, we're going to trade those sorrows. We're going to declare the joy of the Lord. Yeah, it's coming, but we're going to be ready. Amen? Here we go. We're trading our sorrows. Here we go. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying them down for the joy of the